0: Hey, it's time for another edition of Spitting Luges with ESPN's Tom Luganville. I'm Lance Taylor from the next round. It is on disrupt the media. Like, subscribe, give us a thumbs up. It is always brought to you by our friends at mybookie. Mybookie.ag. Put in that promo code at checkout next round. They're gonna hook you up with a big bonus at MyBookie.ag. So you were at Bedlam. That's one of those games I've really I like watching on TV. I've never really cared about going to the game. I've been to Stillwater, I've been to Norman. Um, I knew this was going to be a hyped up environment. Was it even yeah. did it exceed your expectation for how much hate was in the air?
1: Um, I think it probably met my expectation. And and full disclosure, our crew had this game in Norman last year in ABC Prime. When both of the teams were playing so poorly, it didn't even seem like it was a rivalry game. It was just another game where each team was trying to survive and get a last win. Um, but this one was the in-stadium environment, and I don't know if you've ever been to Stillwater, but it's you know it's not very big. It's actually very very quaint. It's small, but they're right on top of you, and it's it's um it's really loud. They allow the students, you know, to have those paddles, and they're knocking them against the padded walls. The field is right up – oh, the walls are right up against the field. But I felt like there was a – this feeling like Oklahoma State was saying, fine, Oklahoma, beat it. Go do your SEC thing. Get out of here. We're through with you. Like that was kind of what felt like – the it, I perceived it to be kind of the air in that stadium was, all right, one little kick out the door and here we go.
0: Hey, when you sat down with Mike Gundy and and Derek Mason and that staff. Well, Derek's um, not there anymore. Derek's not there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, I mean, what was, so it was week two or three. When was the bye? What was the story where Mike Gundy said, hey, look, man, we got to get this thing right. So, and
1: I asked him about that in my post-game interview. So they went three straight weeks. when They couldn't figure out what they wanted to do at quarterback. Couldn't run the ball lick. Ollie Gordon had 19 combined carries. Then they went into the, they went into the bye week and literally Ollie Gordon walked into coach's office and said, coach, you need to make me the feature back. I can fix this. And they sat down together and Mike Gundy off of that meeting went into the staff room and said, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put him in the pistol. We're going to set him really deep and we're going to get away from some of our zone stuff because right now in the offensive line, we're not good enough to win those matchups. We're going to go to some gap scheme stuff, meaning counter and, and um, split zone, some of these different things, and this is what we're going to try to do. So the next week they go and they play Iowa State. They lose a close game but looked like a different football team. They settled on Alan Bowman at quarterback. Ollie Gordon started getting going in the run game, and from that moment on, everything changed. And right now, I mean, they're in a position to be playing – for a big 12 conference championship and this was a team you could make an argument that coming into the season had the most tumultuous offseason of any team in the big 12 had a mass exit exodus of the transfer portal had a lot of negativity swirling around the program a lot of people I think were wondering you know could this be the end for Mike Gundy and if you could make an argument it's been his best coaching job in there uh, in years
0: yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, Sark sitting there with with every opportunity to get to a college football playoff for the first time in the history of Texas program. And he's got the one loss and he's got a great win in Tuscaloosa. But your Big 12 coach of the year up until this point has got to be Mike Gundy, right?
1: I think so. I mean, if you're going to take the season in totality and, and really examine, because, you know, the, the, a lot of people point to the South Alabama loss for Oklahoma State. You know, they lost 33 to 7. I don't think they realize until you go back and watch that game just how bad the thirty-three to seven was. Like sometimes there's games that play out a certain way and it gets deceiving and what have you, and it plays out in the fourth quarter and you're like, "Well, score's not really indicative." Oh yeah, it was. <laughs> and I think I think that to me is is shows a real sign of resiliency and leadership. And really, they credit Alan Bowman, the journeyman quarterback, as kind of being the galvanizing force because. I think he brought some leadership skills that they felt were lacking at the position there that have really kind of glued the locker room together.
0: A Massive win for Alabama this past Saturday against LSU. Great environment. I was in Tuscaloosa, and it seems like Tommy Reese finally took the reins off of Jalen Milroe and, look, played to his strengths or called to his strengths. And Jalen Milrow had a heck of a day, heck of a night. They end up winning the game by 14. Now they've got one of these lazy 11 o'clock road games. In Lexington, solid Kentucky team, probably not the best we've seen under Mark Stewart, but a really good team. Yeah. Um, do you do you feel like this is one of those trap games at all for Alabama the way they're playing right now?
1: I think every game is a trap game for Alabama, just like every game is a trap game for Texas. I mean, when we look at college football this past weekend, like how critical was that win for Alabama? You look at, at, at the Big 12 we were just talking about. I mean, you really think about it. The entire college football playoff opportunity for the Big Twelve came down to one fourth and four in Austin, Texas last week. If if Kent State gets or uh, Kansas State gets that, the Big Twelve is done.
0: Yeah, why done. didn't Ken, why didn't Klein and kick there? I mean, first of all, the play calling was horrible once they got to the four. Yeah, but I just didn't yeah. understand. Like to me, they were the better team with Murphy at quarterback. Uh, them being Kansas State, so why not take the three there? I know they had missed a, a short field goal earlier. Uh, towards but they Andrews. made a long one to tie it. Yeah, I I just – I would have continued to extend that game.
1: Yeah, I go back and forth on that because I feel like oftentimes on a Sunday or a Monday and you have games like that, and we're going to be critical either way, right? We're going to sit there and we're going to look at Jed Fish at Arizona and go, why would you not just go for the win against SC and instead give the ball back to Caleb Williams? And guess what? They lost the game because of that. But then if he does it, you kind of talk the next day saying, well – man, they're in it with USC they weren't even supposed to be. So I can see both both sides of the argument. I just think they wanted to get out of there. They were down 27-7, to 7, probably had no business, you know, being in the football game at that time. But they crawled back in, and I think they were going to give it a shot. It, it was a little bit like the UCF-Oklahoma game that I had with the two-point conversion that Gus Malzon came up with. Just a bad play call. And I thought the whole sequence of play calls there for Kansas State, uh, they, weren't at, they weren't at their finest. But anyway, getting back to, to Alabama, I – I think the way things things are going right now in college football is you've got to know that every single game you're playing now, if you're Alabama, is an SEC championship game. You win, you advance. You win, you advance. And it doesn't matter who the opponent is, but that's got to be your mindset. And I I think this Alabama team has generated – it's been a slow burn, but they've generated this level of confidence – that was sorely lacking in the first three to four weeks. And, you know, listen, it's still not pretty at all times. It's not perfect. Um, But you mentioned Tommy Reese. I think not not only has he done a good job, but I would make an argument that Jalen Milrow, for the the first time last week, looked like a guy that was just being himself and not somebody that was trying to fit in to a mold of what everybody says the quote-unquote quarterback should be. And I felt like he was really trying to do that. It was like sticking a square peg into a round hole. I didn't see any of that on Saturday. I thought he got rid of the ball quicker. He scrambled when he needed to. He didn't. He didn't move himself into sacks. Um, he just looked like a different player. So from a confidence perspective, I don't see this as a trap game um, at all. And I actually think the benefit of this game is on the defensive side for Alabama because from what I've seen from Devin Larry. Being a 57 or 59% completion percentage guy is not going to beat Alabama. And if Alabama loads up and stops a run and says, all right, Devin Leary, good luck. Let's see if you can beat us. I just don't know if I've seen anything that proves to me that he could.
0: He is ESPN's Tom Luganbill at Spittin' Lugs right here on Disrupt the Media. I'm Lance Taylor for the next round. Like, subscribe, give us that thumbs up. This is always brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Holidays right around the corner. They've got a variety of products like the Handyman right here. Great stocking stuffers. Go to manscaped.com. Put in that promo code LUGS L L or L O O G S. That is promo code LUGS. Uh, so if I look around, I mean, this could be one of those bloody Saturdays in college football. Because, oh yeah, I mean, Penn State obviously the record for James Franklin against top ten teams, three and sixteen, is awful. But they've got every opportunity to win that game. Um, you look at Utah. I mean, we know Kyle Winningham and that squad uh, could go mm-hmm. into Seattle, beat Washington. Ole Miss has got a fighting shot against Georgia. Um, what else do we have out there? USC, Oregon. I mean, some of these don't look like – Florida State, like, Miami. Florida State, Miami, Texas, TCU, which you'll be at. I mean, this could be one of those slow globe, snow globe Saturdays where things really get shaken up.
1: Well, we've seen each and every week, if you don't bring your a, day, a game, you're in danger of going down. And you don't even have to be playing a team that's as good or better than you. And that's what makes each and every Saturday so scary. I, I, I mean – like I said about last week in the Big 12, the entire conference came down to one-fourth and four. You look at the, the the Pac-12. Is Oregon clearly the better team? Yes. But SC can score. The bottom line is SC can score. And you might have fired Alex Grinch, but you didn't fire all the players. It's still the same right. players that is playing with on defense. And I wish, for Utah's perspective, if you're a Utah fan, I just wish you felt better about the quarterback position. If that game was in Salt Lake City, I think you'd feel better about it. The fact that you've got to go on the road, and Washington hasn't been perfect, particularly as of late. Defensively, they've got their own concerns. Offensively, they got back on track last week, which a lot of people tend to do against USC. Uh, For me, I, I think the entire weekend has a ton of intrigue to be upset
0: City across the board. And maybe they'll all
1: play out the way they're supposed to And old chalk. But I don't know. I, I, I love and I love it. I'm here for every ounce of it, dude. Uh,
0: do you, I mean, Ole Miss, Georgia, this would be by far Lane Kiffin's biggest win in Oxford. And this would really shake things up because the SEC would be a complete mess at that point. At least trying to figure out who that team is that can get into the college football playoff. Do you give yeah. Ole Miss a shot here, though?
1: Um, I, I I do just because, um, you know, Ole Miss has done a good job of playing to their strengths, right? And they've done a good job of playing in big games and playing well. I do think this needs to turn into a track meet, though. They have to somehow get going fast early. That's the whole mode of operation for Ole Miss on offense. If they can't do that, then they're going to be in trouble. I think the benefit for Georgia in this game is you just played Missouri. Missouri is very similar to Ole Miss in terms of, substance explosiveness quality quarterback play difference makers on the perimeter the ability to run the football and you've kind of gotten a sense of that and you and you took care of business versus um versus missouri now is, is old miss the better team on paper no i don't think they are i do think though that the whole thing is going to be predicated on whether or not old miss is successful on first down so that they could set tempo if they're not it's going to be awfully difficult for Ole Miss in, in this football game. And the thing about Georgia that's similar to Alabama was Alabama created so many negative plays, so many tackles for lost plays against Ole Miss that they were always playing behind the chains, Ole Miss, so they couldn't ever go fast. They couldn't be who they are. And Georgia's capable of doing the same thing.
0: He is ESPN's Tom Luganville at Spittin' Lugs right here on Disrupt the Media. Like and subscribe. It is brought to you by lanceslog.com Jump on board Every league. Every day, uh, we've got plays for you. We've got weekly plays, our weekly packages. We've got monthly packages, annual packages. Jump on board, free play every day, Lance'sLock.com. You talked about the Big 12, four yards away from a walk-off. That conference was was dead and buried. I feel the same about the ACC with Florida State. Now, you look at Florida State's schedule. Miami could be tricky. Florida could be yeah. tricky. Um, but more than likely, most people think they went out. But would you say shakiest conference right now, ACC or Big 12?
1: That is such a great question because, all right, so let's start with the ACC. I think what's so disappointing about the ACC is how good it started, right? We were 4-0 Miami, 4-0 Syracuse, 4-0 Duke, 4-0 North Carolina. Then you've got Florida State, of course. And then the disappointing teams like NC State, um, you know, have not played up to their billing and then, as of late, all of those teams I just referenced have started to falter. And I still think Miami has good players. I still think Miami's got the personnel to be a problem for Florida State. I really do. Um, But as far as top to bottom, I would say the Big 12. And and I say that because I think the group of five teams that entered the league are in a a distinct transition period where – their depth has been challenged their top level talent has been challenged and none of them have been overly successful you also have a football team that played for a national championship out of the big 12 that is in danger of maybe not going bowling this year forget winning the big 12 may not be eligible for a bowl i think that's only the second time that's happened since 2010 what would it be i think lsu 2020 and texas in 2010.
0: uh yeah yeah that's what i
1: think that's what it is and so I would probably lean slightly uh, towards um, uh, towards the Big 12 because I also think that coming into the season, we kind of knew who the good teams coming into the season were likely going to be and have been at least competitively good with the ACC. But going into the season with the Big 12, like people thought Baylor would be a lot better. People thought TCU would still be you know, an eight or nine win football team. They did a really nice job in the transfer portal. People thought Texas Tech was going to be really good. All right, um, you know Kansas State wins the Big Twelve last year, but they've got three losses. So I don't know. It's a great toss-up debate that you could probably go on and on with. But the TCU one sticks in my in my side. it's just hard. To, it's hard to be in a national championship game and completely not make bull season, and that it's, could
0: happen. It's crazy. But back to the ACC and before the season started, you and I both were in agreement. Brennan Armstrong transferring to NC State under Dave Duran. This could be a really Man. good team. And now you've got MJ Morris who's taken over. He's three and one as a starting quarterback. And yesterday he decides to tap out, and he's like, "I'm done after four games." And his dad goes on air on a radio show, and he's like, "We still have a commitment to NC State. He's not transferring out." Well, if you're not transferring out, why aren't you playing? Won. Yeah, and Dave Duran just endorsed the kid on Monday.
1: It's a strange set of circumstances. I don't. Hey, like before it you Monday. get into it, first
0: is he is he a good quarterback? I mean, he's three and one as a starting quarterback. I, I thought he's, you know, he's been okay. I watched him against Clemson. Yeah. I thought he was okay.
1: Yeah, he's okay. I thought he did a really good job last year when he was thrust into duty when Devin Leary got injured, and and they they should have played him. They had to play him. He hung in there. I thought he showed a lot of resiliency and toughness. I just don't like the message that this sends in in any way, shape, or form. And personally, like I don't think kids and either their their parents or the people they're leaning on for advice and. Support, do they sit back and say, if we make a move like this and we go into the transfer portal, which he's claiming he's not going to do, but let's just say we presume that he does, do they not realize that every other coach in the portal that may have interest in him is going to do guess what? They're going to call Dave Doran and they're going to call every assistant coach they know on that staff and go, what's the deal with this guy? Like, do they not think that through? I mean, it's the first thing I'd be doing.
0: Well, and that's the thing, man. I don't know. You're you're around this a lot because you've been in the recruiting game forever. And look, you've actually recruited kids and you've been recruited. But it's almost like, you know, this guy's dad is the one that's pulling the strings. And if that's the case where, hey, look, we can make more money with you going somewhere else. You need to pull pull it right now, pull the plug. And after four games, let's save a year of eligibility. I mean, that's really sad if you've got somebody telling a kid to do that. And I I don't know if that's the case or not.
1: Yeah, it, it just, but it it reeks, right? And there's bad optics associated with it. And it creates doubt. It creates a perception that you're not all in, that you're not committed. I mean, it, when you think about it, like, if the other guys on that team, they got to be asking the question. And on the other, not only are they asking the question, you know, what's going on? They're, they're, they're probably having the same internal conversation you and I are having right now. And then on top of it, you're going, well, well, could this bleed into other guys? And all of a sudden, does Dave Doran have other guys coming into I'll Say, well, you know what? I'm going to sit down too, Coach. I'm going to redshirt as well. And and blah blah. I mean, it's just, just it's bad ball. I don't I don't like it.
0: Okay, so this is random, but I brought this up on the air today. I, I think Florida fans are one of the more impatient fan bases in college football. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, Billy Napier, you know, after the Utah win last year, they were like, this is going to be great. And that's really been Tennessee was a big win this year. But yeah. since then, you know, he's had really two, what you would call quality wins since he's been there in a year plus. When you start to look at the schedule, they go to LSU, they go to Missouri, and they've got Florida State. It yeah. looks like they're going to drop three consecutive, which will be five consecutive, which puts them at five and seven, not bowl eligible. If they were to blow him out and go to Deion Sanders and say, look, we know there's a little animosity between you and your university, Florida State, because Deion won't call him by name. Uh, do you think Florida would go outside of the box and hire Dion? And if they did, with his ability to recruit and market, could this be a problem for the SEC? Oh, man, you've asked a question that's got so many tentacles. It's uh, well, look and, and look. A lot of the shine, as you think this over, has has been taken off. Of you know, Sean Lewis went from what an incredible hire to not even calling plays. He's the
1: only reason they've been any good. <laughs> I,
0: I mean, don't his get career it.
1: Career might get ruined yeah. off of this. Well, I know. I, I don't think it will. But this is uh, here. Here's my first off. I I don't believe Florida will do that. Even though I do agree with you, I think they will drop three straight. Um, I do think Billy Napier can recruit. I do think he knows how to build a program. I do think it's a very difficult place to do it at. And it's – um there's just – there's a lot of hands in the cookie jar and everybody's disgruntled all the time. You kind of get the feeling that's a little Texas-like, you know, when Sarki – everybody's, you know, just a toxic climate and you're having to weave through all of that. And if, if you're not winning immediately, it makes it worse and worse and worse. And then, boom, they're going to pull the trigger. So, um, you know, it's, it's like Dan Mullen. You know, Dan Mullen didn't start taking stupid pills when he got the Florida job. I mean, would, to do what he did at Mississippi State's been sensational. So, um, there, there is something to the internal dynamic there. But I, I, I don't know if that's who they would go after. Um, not because he's a Florida State guy. or And, and I, I think we need to wait and see on this whole entire Colorado scenario on how it plays out ultimately when Travis Hunter and his, his two sons are not within the program. Because you know, he had Dion has gone on record of well, what are you gonna do when you're not playing well in the offensive line? Well, we'll replace them all. Well, what are you saying to your offensive line? What are you saying to your team? What are you saying to, <laughs> the, the the whole entire locker room is constantly on pins and needles, feeling like they're one play away one step away from being replaced what are you going to do turn it over 50 60 guys every year is that is that what we're going to do here
0: yeah and it's so almost I, like the the unhappy uh you know you get married and like six months into it i don't like how the noise you make when you're brushing your teeth like yeah, everything right. that you do wrong hey look we're, we're gonna have to talk about this i don't know if this is gonna work out uh, yeah you, you I, can only get they, somebody divorces
1: yeah, right and and, you know, ultimately, I think the long term view of this, is, you know, they're going to, if you're, if we're going to talk about uh, Deion Sanders in Colorado and how it would, for, you know, play out if it was at a place like Florida or anywhere else, is like, you you still, okay, you had to do this at Colorado. And did you improve in a couple of spots? Yes. Are you, is, is your depth and your, in your front on both sides of the ball really, really bad? Yeah. I mean, that's the reality of the situation. We've all seen it. So you have to go back to what is going to be the core foundation of the program. That's high school recruiting. Well, we haven't
0: quite seen that yet.
1: Okay, we've seen the transfer portal turnover. We've seen them be able to improve the quarterback position and and the receiver and corner position in the snap. Like, what will we be talking about two years from now? What will we be talking about three years from now? Will we be talking about three consecutive top ten recruiting classes with? 10 to 12 portal guys supplementing it every year at colorado see i don't think anybody knows the answer to that question and the more you outwardly and the more you outwardly criticize your own roster or you know show any type of oh well, you know we got to improve this we got to go in another direction how attractive is that going to be to the high school recruit or the transfer portal recruit uh, it's a tough question to answer right now maybe it won't matter i don't know
0: he's espn's tom lugan bill it's spitting Lugs right here on disrupt the media like subscribe give us that thumbs up it is always brought to you by my bookie where you use that code next round secure that bonus at checkout at MyBookie.ag. college football rankings basically stayed the same one through eight if i asked you right now though neutral site florida state old miss who you got
1: wow um
0: I'm the crazy. reason I bring this up is somebody it's told me I was crazy. Game. I was like, I, I just get a feeling these teams are kind of the same.
1: I do like, too. I don't know.
0: I, I think they're really good. I don't think they're great. I don't think they win a championship. I've got four teams that I believe can get to a college football playoff and win two games. Those are two teams I don't believe are there. So I kind of said, you know, neutral side, I think it would be a really good game. And and a couple of people said you're game. insane. Florida State's so much better.
1: Oh, I don't know about that. I, I Listen, and I've had Florida State – This year, and I like them. Don't get me wrong, they're really good. Mike Norvell has done a great job. I think those two teams are very, very similar. I don't think either team's great in the offensive line. Um, at times each team has shown flashes on defense, but I wouldn't say consistently. I mean, you look at listen, you look at Florida State the first five, six weeks of the season, go look at them statistically on defense. They weren't stopping anybody,
0: right? How did they stop LSU in the second half?
1: I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. Wait, baffling so, when you when you look back, LSU again. was not what we see LSU as. That's now. true. Yeah. LSU is not playing that way offensively now. And again, you know, when we in the off seasons and we talk about a schedule, who you play, where you play and when you play is a big part of the equation because teams are different at different times of the year. And that certainly could be said for, OK. Old Miss earlier in the year. I mean, I had the game at Tulane. They should have lost to Tulane, right? Yep. That's not the same team we're playing. Seeing with Ole Miss right now, um, so I think it would be a great game. I, I want to go back to something you said about the college football playoff. It, it's so funny how like nothing changes, right? Because they're always going to default to the easiest decision that will allow the least amount of scrutiny, as long as they can do it, right? Do you think anybody on that committee right now? Thinks Washington's a better football team than Oregon?
0: Uh, no, no, nobody. And so I does anybody on do like the committee really day? think? Do they think Ohio State's the best team in college football? There's no way, not no. But
1: again, until they have to make a difficult choice, here's what's going to be interesting. What let, let's let's play this thing out. So let's just say Alabama makes it to the SEC championship game, beats Georgia. All right, so two one loss teams there. You have um, an undefeated Big Ten champ all right, and um, you have a one-loss Pac-12 champ, whoever it is, an undefeated ACC champ, and a one-loss Big 12 champ in Texas who's beaten Alabama, who do
0: you leave out? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I, I don't know how you leave Texas out, right? But what if Florida State's undefeated? they got a brand, too. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think the ACC has gone from really deep conference to a very average conference. I, I totally,
1: yeah, but, but I you, totally you agree can't, with you.
0: You can't leave out an undefeated Florida State. Hell, I don't know what you do.
1: I know, and that's the chaos that the committee, to this point, hasn't had to deal with. Like, they haven't had to deal with. There's going to come a time where they're going to have to make a choice whether head-to-head matters more than who you think is the actual best team or who your eyes are telling you is playing the best football right now. And, you know, I like, I look at Oregon, like I think Oregon is probably playing as good, if not better than any team in college football. Yeah. There were the four
0: that I would have. And I don't know if you agree with this. I think Michigan, Michigan, Georgia, Oregon and Alabama are teams that could beat two quality elite teams in a college football playoff. Those are the four I've got right now.
1: Yeah, and I think with Quinn Ewers, Texas could do it too because they're built, especially defensively and in the yeah. offensive line, they're built like Alabama. Well, they're better in the offensive line than Alabama. But they're they're built uh, – Texas is built that way in the right spots. But, no, I mean, it's an intriguing question. I mean, there are some scenarios it could play out that that literally it's not that hard for what I just outlined to actually happen. It's
0: not. So, Alexander Payne, Jim Taylor, uh, writing-directing duo that started out of Omaha, Nebraska, I think. But they've done Election with the Reese Witherspoon. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, they did Sideways. They've done About Smith. Uh, they've done The Descendants. I mean, they've done uh, some really, really good movies. Yeah. And now they've got one called The Holdovers. that is just coming out this weekend with Paul Giamatti. I love and Giamatti. It's, it's got like 98% of Rotten Tomatoes. And the backstory, period piece from the 70s, he's at a prep school. He's a curmudgeon guy. Yeah, they got to go home
1: for Christmas break, right?
0: Yeah, he gets left there to—he's actually— Babysitting, basically. Yeah, he's babysitting. He's the chaperone of all the students that couldn't travel home. Yeah, And it's supposed to be hilarious, but I'm going to see it Friday night. I don't know if this is on your radar or not. Yeah.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. It is on my radar. I have no idea the next time I'll be able to go to a movie. It has Dead Poets Society written all over it,
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it really,
1: it's good. It just has meet, that. Meets, meet
0: Sin Woman, maybe. Dead Poets. Absolutely. Woman. Yeah.
1: Good call, dude. Yeah. Well, I want to see that. And I'll tell you the other one. I want to see Napoleon.
0: Oh, I do too. Yeah.
1: Ridley Scott makes great movies. And, and, and to me, Joaquin we, Phoenix is unbelievable.
0: Yeah. And as good as Joaquin was in The Joker, I thought Joaquin's best role ever was his Commodus, uh, you know, um, under embadiator. Ridley Scott's direction. Yeah. Yeah. And that's he was, 23 years fantastic. ago.
1: I know it. I know it. And so, uh, yeah, there's some good stuff like coming out um, and coming up. And I had to be honest, I'm usually dialed in on that stuff, and I have not been lately at well, all.
0: I don't know if you, I, mean, you're like me. You like recommending stuff that people haven't seen before. Yeah. So I had a oh, couple yeah. people come in to town this past week, and they were there Thursday night, uh, Friday night, Saturday we were doing game stuff, uh, Sunday night, Monday night. So I would just go through. I've still got a DVD collection, which. They all thought it was hilarious because I get it. He's got them anymore, which means you have
1: to have a DVD player,
0: right? I've got a Blu-ray still. <laughs> I've only got one in the house, but I, I was going through movies. Have you seen? Have you not? And a couple of movies okay. that they hadn't seen that we watched Seven, one of my favorites, David Fincher, nineteen ninety-five. Seven, a bunch of people hadn't, believe it or not, and then we watched uh, Silence of the Lambs, which they hadn't seen. Silence Somebody of the ha- Lambs. How old yeah. are these people? Uh, all over the place.
1: How could you have not? I mean, that's almost on a level of saying I haven't seen Star Wars.
0: I know. Well, you'd be shocked at Dunaway and Brown. We need to do this one time when you come on, just a full segment of how many great films. Like, you could take AFI's or AFI's top 100 100. films of all time, and I bet they've seen 8 to 10, maybe. Really? Yeah. But if you had to go 7 or Silence of the Lambs, where would you go?
1: Oh, that is so good. Well, I will say this, and a lot of people do not agree with me when I say this. Until the last sequence and the last whole scene, okay. Really from when Kevin Spacey is introduced. Yeah. Yeah. When he
0: when he basically he he, he turns himself in. Walks into the yeah. Yeah.
1: From that point on, okay? From before that, from the beginning of the movie to that scene, I thought Brad Pitt was a horrible actor in that movie. I thought it was forced. I thought he was almost like a caricature. I just I don't know i just didn't think he was very good now from kevin Spacey's introduction to the end i thought he was remarkable i mean the emotion on his face when they're out in the desert is is unbelievable that's a really good question but i would have to say and i'm not a book guy but i thought silence of the lambs was the best adaptation of a book to film that maybe outside of Jaws, that has probably ever ever been done. And by the way, speaking of recommending um, movies, now you saw Red Dragon, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I've okay. seen I've seen Manhunter. I've seen it all. Okay,
1: that's what I was. I was just going to bring yeah. a Manhunter. I was going to bring. You like, know, one of the first
0: times we did an interview, it was so funny. Uh, we were talking, and and Brown was like, "You two know more about entertainment than anything." And you threw a trivia question to me. You were like, "Okay, who was Hannibal Lecter in Manhunter?" And I was like, Brian Cox. And this is before Succession. No. We were, were like, holy shit. How did you get that right? It's I mean, such a good movie. Like, you don't realize. Because oh, like, yeah, I loved Red William Dragons Peterson back in the day.
1: Yeah, before CSI. That's yeah. exactly right. So, um, But, no, I would probably have Silence of the Lambs just a slight, slight nod. Um, but they're both, like, spectacular. And I and I, I got to be honest with you. A lot of people have tried to, you know, in that formula try to make other good either serial killer type movies and very few have risen to the level of those two movies over the last well, 30 have years.
0: Have you heard about this one coming out? Because I'm David Fincher is my favorite director. Oh he's great. I know yeah. the killer
1: is it called the killer. Yeah.
0: Yeah yeah. Michael yeah. fassbender Um awesome. he yeah he's playing the serial killer and um I forgot exactly what the premise is, but it's got really good ratings and it it drops on Netflix this Friday. The last
1: serial oh, it's a Netflix. Okay. The last serial killer one, Fastbender was in Suck, The Snowman. It looked like it was going to be so bad. I didn't bloody.
0: see it. Yeah. Wow, I just heard terrible. it was so bad. I, it was I agree. So bad. Yeah. Like the trailer, I was like, okay, we could work yeah, it with this. Good, and then right? everybody said it was so just completely who would, awful.
1: Who would you say, Seven or Silence of the Lambs?
0: I think I would lean Seven just because of how demented. I mean, both of them are really demented. You know, Silence of the Lambs swept the Big Five at the Academy Awards. It's oh, no. just something. About seven from the score, you know, Trent Reznor, the first collaboration with David Fincher Um, for Kevin Spacey to not even be credited just as John Doe. I just thought there were some really cool elements to that film, but I love both. They're both top tens for me. But back to seven and Brad Pitt's performance, you know, it's a guy we first saw him come onto the scene in Thelma and Louise, which was a good film by its own right way back in the day. And he was the good looking new dude. You never thought he would end up being a good actor but he's had some great roles. What, I I mean, I've got like a top 10 Brad Pitt, like really deep, you know, quality roles, but what would you be, be your favorite right now? Oh man. See,
1: I'm going to tell full disclosure. I did not like fight club.
0: Okay. Yeah. I didn't either. And David Fincher, I I I thought it was so overrated. It is such a cult film and people are forced to like it in my opinion. And I love Edward. I totally agree.
1: Yeah. I I totally agree with you. I didn't like Twelve Monkeys all that much, although I thought that might be his best performance. He his played other, crazy well.
0: I did like Twelve Monkeys.
1: Yeah, and then his probably his other best performance is in Snatch. Although I don't think Snatch is one of his top ten movies, but I think it's one of his his best performances. Um,
0: those are all great calls. Inglourious Bastards, Inglourious uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
1: Yeah, he's really good in that. Like again, he's got like I feel like he is our era's paul newman and robert redford like our parents grew up with robert redford and paul newman as being what we grew up with brad pitt and Matthew mcconaughey being today
0: yeah yeah yeah, because they're they they were known as just really good looking dudes yeah some fun movies but then you start to see the depth of their talent exactly yeah
1: Yeah, like you get past butch cassidy and the sundance kid and then you go watch them do you know Watch Robert Redford next to Dustin Hoffman or, um, you know.
0: Dude, I obviously. thought when, when they cast Matt McConaughey in Amistad, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I don't know what we're trying to do here. This guy's never going to have yeah. depth as an actor. And, you know, then then the, the one year not long ago, I think it was seven or eight years ago, he wins a Golden Globe for Best Actor in uh, True Detective, and he wins an Academy Award for the Dallas Buyers Club.
1: <laughs> and, and earned it. By the yeah. way, speaking of True Detective, so just out of nowhere, I was like, you know what? That was so good. And season two was so bad. And season three was so good. I'm just gonna go back and watch season one of true detective. So I I you know I had all these games, I had a game last Thursday, Saturday, last night. So I'm flying all over the place, and I just downloaded the first season of True Detective and watched it over again. Damn, that is
0: the freaking three good. Three times show. I've seen it from start to finish. And I think it's the best one season of television just separated that I've ever seen. It.
1: it I, I wouldn't, I think that's a fair argument. Now I would throw out there a breaking bad. I would throw out there the wire. Um,
0: yeah. But, but I'm just talking about, I'm just talking about, you know, best season, season. the best season.
1: Yeah. Oh I, yeah. No, listen, I'm, I'm with you. And you didn't realize that like, you th- thought it was 10, 12 episodes. It was only eight episodes. And they got so much information into that thing. It the was, writing it was, was so good.
0: Oh, uh, incredible. And, 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 you know, in in Rust and Marty, the the way they, they actually just on the scene together. I mean, Matt McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. And, you know, there's that rumor out there, they're brothers. Have you ever yeah. heard that? Well, they're best
1: friends in real life. I know that. So well,
0: I know working. they smoke a lot of weed, have a lot of fun. Ain't <laughs> <Hey>, no doubt. <laughs> uh, Apparently so. Okay, so you're heading to Fort Worth, right?
1: Yeah, Texas TCU ABC Primetime.
0: You think we got a shot at seeing a massive uh, upset there?
1: The way that TCU is currently playing, no. Um, and we're going to find out probably Friday whether Quinn Ewers can be able to go. You know, he got updated from week to week to day to day, so we will see. I just think it's interesting the weight of the world's on the Texas Longhorn shoulders. I mean, this is this is. Why Steve Sarkeesian was hired. This is what everybody's expecting this Texas program to be, right? And now can they actually do it? Right. Because every game, like I said for Alabama, every game's a playoff game for them now. Every game is a championship game because they're the last of the Mohicans, right? They're they're the last one that has a shot and they control all of it. They don't need anybody else's help. And this program hasn't been in that position in a long, long time.
0: He's ESPN's Tom Luganbill. It is Spitting lugs right here on Disrupt the Media. It's brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Great products, great stocking stuffers. Manscaped.com. Put in the promo code LUGS L-O-O-G-S. Hey, uh, big thanks. We'll talk to you next week. And uh, I don't know. I'm trying to recommend something that you could. You watch the mayor of Easttown, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Fantastic. I got actually, I started watching the new uh, Taylor Sheridan show on Paramount. Uh, Lawman Bass Reeves.
0: Oh, I hadn't even heard about it.
1: Yeah, go check it out. It's it's actually a, a true story. It's a true story about the first ever African American to become a US deputy marshal post um the Civil War. And um I can't I've always mispronounced the name, but it's got David Oyelowo. Yeah, so
0: yeah, happy, I know what you're talking about. He yeah, plays yeah, the yeah. title
1: character, Barry Pepper, who's one of the greatest character actors of all time. Great he sniper and,
0: in saving private Ryan.
1: Yes, uh, Dennis Quaid is in it, although he hasn't been introduced yet. I only got through one episode. Um, But try that out. Taylor Sheridan looks like he's got another hit on his hands.
0: Yeah. I'll check it out. Hey, safe travels. We'll talk to you next week. ESPN's Tom Lugaville.